Hello and welcome to Extreme Perspectives. This is a monthly podcast created by The Sense Network to bring you conversations with people who see things differently and think differently. This podcast is for people who want to expand their mind and develop their creative intelligence. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. For 20 years, I've been seeking out people from the edges of culture, the creators, outliers, misfits, rebels, and the crazy ones, people who want to change things and push the human race forward. In this episode, we are speaking with the misfit and winner of the Creative Thinking World Championship, Gerald Darby. We explore the importance of ambiguity, education, theatre, and how dyslexia needs to be reframed as a different way of thinking. We find needles in haystacks with Einstein, take the advice, don't try, from Charles Bukowski, and discuss the merits of Hyper Island and the brilliance of the charity, the Ministry of Stories. Hi, Gerard. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. Uh, Gerard, I need to start by saying congratulations. Gerard, winner of the 2021 Creative Thinking World Championships, sponsored by the Sense Network, I hasten to add. So congratulations. Thank you so much. And, and uh, thank you also for your sponsorship as, as well. So this was part of the Mind Sports Olympiad. Um, I think you, you interviewed the guy who was, was running it and uh, enjoyed Eat that. So um, yeah. Yeah, and thank you for your sponsorship as well. It's been been much appreciated. This is, I guess, because I, I remember you asked him a question about um, people cheating in it, because I, I couldn't believe people were cheating in the Mind Sports Olympia. But I guess creative thinking is the one thing you can't really cheat in, because I don't know how you do that, to be honest. Because creative thinking is, a get, I guess, a bit about cheating. So, um, yeah, but thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure, but it's not the first time you've won it, is it? Um, I, it is the first time I've won it. I got bronze award oh. actually. Yeah. Yeah, I've made my I've made my way up the scale. So, um, uh, yeah, but it's the first time I've won it. And um, we had um, quite a number of people in different countries all around the world competing. They're having to sort of uh, answer questions like with the hopefully with the pandemic going away uh, eventually, um, what is going to happen to all the equipment and all the things that's associated with COVID? How could we kind of reuse those? And coming up with sort of creative ideas on that. So thinking about things like face masks and thinking those would be good uh, trampolines for, for gerbils and thinking about also, we, we had a question about sort of redesigning a pen knife as well. So it's a really kind of interesting sorts of fun questions that you had to answer and kind of mull over and come up with sort of creative ideas on. It was a lot of fun, that has to be said. But to get us started, could I ask you, as I ask you the question that I ask everyone, when I start the Extreme Perspective podcast, is are you an outlier, a misfit, a rebel, or a crazy one? Well, uh, dodging the question, of course, being creative, I I'd say a bit of all of these, really. So a rebel, I once interviewed, actually, James Dyson, the inventor James Dyson, and that his one piece of advice was when somebody gives you some advice, then explore the opposite, go in the opposite direction, see the potential for the opposite. So I've always thought that's been brilliant advice. And so I'm quite, I suppose, a, a rebel, but a very polite rebel and, and look at the potential for the opposite. I'm definitely a misfit, but at, at the same time, I don't really try to fit in. I don't try to conform. I think life's too short to conform. And at the same time, I feel that you have to be sort of creative with your ideas and, and not necessarily feel that they need to, to, to conform. And you have to also, I guess, being a misfit, you have to kind of think about 
at the same time, how you're going to bring people along on a journey, how you're going to kind of entice them in with your ideas. So sometimes it's a misfit and sometimes you have to kind of um, go with the flow and kind of lead people with your ideas. And then um, definitely a crazy one, I think. But it's intriguing, I think, how many innovations and uh, ideas were initially dismissed as being crazy. And then, of course, they've become kind of part of the status quo. So I'm not worried about that either. So uh, a bit of all of them, I guess. Very good. So when did you first realise that you had this creative streak? When did it first occur to you that you might have been a misfit? pretty much occurred to me when I was at school to be honest because I just didn't feel I I fitted in with school and with with schooling I mean I tried my best but I was always somebody who when there was kind of is the answer a b or c I was always thinking well what what if it's not any of those answers what what's d what might be another or what might be answers in the plural and similarly, you know, when, when you're trying to kind of come up with, with an answer to something that's similar to whatever it was, the, the answer in the teacher's head or the one in the, in the back of the textbook, I was always trying to think, well, what other things could there be? And it was always kind of ch- challenging and, and, and questioning things, I guess. And so it's been a kind of streak that's, that's run through me. I don't think it's always made things easy in the sense that you are kind of going, going against the grain often. And I remember I, I went to, they had a sort of like a little club in, in the local library near me. And it was one time where they really encouraged you to have ideas and to be inventive and to think of uh, of creatively. And I just absolutely loved it. And I really felt in, in, in my zone, if you like. So it's, I guess it's always been part of my personality. You've reminded me of something that happened to me at school. I think it was an English question. It was for a description, testing your ability to describe things. And the question was, how do you make a bed? (laughs) So naturally, I went out and bought some wood and some screws. (laughs) And And I remember not doing very well for not understanding the question properly. So I just thought I'd share that with you to try and make you feel that you you may be amongst friends here. I love it. I mean, I think that's a good answer, though. I think that's that's the correct answer because it was how do you make a, a, a bed, and you, you answered it. You answered it accurately. I think it's down to the question there that they didn't convey it in, in in the best possible way. It reminds me of that. Sometimes they got sort of mathematical question of find x, and they've got an x on a diagram. And, and if you if you want to be kind of uh, provocative, you can just circle x and say I found it. There it is. <laughs> And I also, I've got to, I distinguish this, is the people who are clever and the people who are smart. But then there's the difference between clever and smart. And then there are smart asses. I think that might be a, I think, I think that might be a smart ass response, actually. But, but very good. I'm sure you've got lots of those. Now, one of the things I think fascinated me as I looked at the winner and then you instantly go, well, who is this chap? How, how come he's won it? Well, you're qualified to win it. Is that right? Because you actually have a master's in creative thinking. I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I did. I did a master's um, not that long ago. Maybe it was about four years ago. And um, it's like one of these things you, you, I try to do in my spare time. It was pre-COVID, but the whole master's course, University of Central Lancashire in England. And the, the whole of the course was actually distance learning so I never actually got to go to the university at all 
But I, I absolutely loved it. It was a course really to just kind of look at creative thinking, creativity, look at the kind of academic side of things, which I was not used to. I wasn't used to kind of, you know, reading these research papers and so on. But it was, it, it was a course as well where you came up with a topic that you wanted to explore as part of the master's and then you went and did the research as well. So I did my research around kind of people who facilitate groups of people to try and come up with ideas. Because I'm always fascinated, how do you kind of get groups to gel and how do you kind of encourage them to be uh, innovative in their thinking and so on. So I did a piece of research which was really talking to different facilitators who've been quite effective at um, facilitating groups around generating ideas and 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 coming forward with you know quite radical ideas and how they did it and how they went about that it was actually very interesting and I learned a few things um, around that which I can which I can talk through. But the course itself was wonderful, but uh, unfortunately, it's been the victim of a lot of the cuts for universities and no longer runs. And I don't think now there is any course in the UK, which is really sad, that that is on creative thinking. So um, there's a real gap there. And I hope that universities and so on have come to realise, actually, this is a really fundamental skill for the future, because at at least at the moment, it's the one thing that um, computers and AI aren't really sort of, can't really touch, but, but, you know, who knows what's around the corner. But it it was a fantastic course. In terms of what I learned, I guess, about facilitating creative thinking, which I, I did on the course, was really the need to enable groups to tolerate ambiguity. In other words, to tolerate not knowing the answer, which is quite a difficult thing when, you know, often you're looking to an organisation, an organisation head like yourself, and and people are saying, well, what, what do we do? What's the answer? And if you turn around and say... I don't know. <laughs> it's it's not a good response, or it can be seen as not a good response. But actually tolerating ambiguity, tolerating not knowing, and being in that uncomfortable state of not having an answer and not rushing to kind of create a, a, an answer is really important. And at the same time, recognising that creativity and creative thinking is also a messy process. So sometimes you're kind of looking at a solution to something and then you have to go back and then redefine it and that can be quite messy it can be quite annoying and and so on so it's not always an easy fun process this is kind of an idea that creative thinking is all about sort of sitting on on colorful beanbags and just kind of spouting ideas and actually it's quite a difficult process where a lot of the time you're not necessarily that comfortable as a participant, but that's a good sign because it means you're, you're being stretched and you're, your mind's being stretched and you're coming up with potentially some, some interesting insights. I love that. I, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think there are schools of what I call happy clapper creativity, but you know, a, a lot of those sorts of things, you don't get lawyers having to do warm-up exercises. They're creative. They're, you know, as creative professionals, they go to work and they and they are creative. These are these are learned skills. So I, yeah, absolutely. You know, people need to get started somewhere. But I wholeheartedly agree with what you were saying about the ambiguity. You know, that comfort with ambiguity and the fact that it is a messy process. I mean, we've one of my favourite diagrams is doing a big squiggle on a page and then drawing a box around it and going, "That's essentially our job." You know, <laughs> it's to kind of <laughs> not let the people that don't understand this know what we're actually doing because it's a very messy process sort of in inside that innovation funnel and and yeah it's it, it it's not easy and i and i couldn't agree more it is i mean i'm i'm quite shocked to hear from you actually that there 
aren't any the academy is not prioritizing creative thinking because it for me I, I couldn't agree with you more in the age of artificial intelligence and machine learning the thing that we need is our creative intelligence you know that is what is going to keep us competitive as human beings it's going to you know keep us keep our brains alive and going and actually it's it can possibly be one of the most rewarding things that we could do as well so you're preaching to the converted here Gerard oh, I, I, mean, I, I would I would love to hear more I think I mean I think the other thing to add to that as well is that we are unfortunately dealing with some very major issues in society some very big inequalities we're dealing with environmental challenges that that seem astronomical and we do need a different mindset we need a different mindset to the one that actually created these problems in the first place so I think there's that and then I think the the other side of the coin is as well yes it is it, it is a difficult challenging process um, but it's actually a fun one as well. It's a, it's a bit like, I guess, when you, you, you the first time you're going to the gym, it all feels a bit unnatural. You feel like, oh, you know, I really feel like I could be at home just eat, stuffing uh, some pizza down myself and, and, and not having to kind of go through all of this. And then after a while, after a while you start exercising, you do it more and more. The same with your brain. The more you exercise, the more you kind of need it, the more that your brain starts to kind of get a bit more elastic and it kind of gets limbered up. And the more that your brain then feels that it needs to kind of have this kind of side to it. So it, it's something that is, is, is needed to talk. You need to kind of push out just in the same way that you push yourself to go to the gym. And I think an interesting thing as well, which I found was a lot of people when they get, we think, oh yeah, I've got, I've got an idea now, or I, I feel this is a pretty good idea. They stop at that point. And actually what I found is you've got to kind of keep pushing, even though you think you've come up with the, the right answer, or you've come up with an idea or a workable idea, you've got to still push yourself to come up with other ideas in the plural, even though you feel that you've exhausted them. There is that quote that people say, people were supposed to have asked uh, Albert Einstein, what's the difference between your mind uh, and the way that my mind works? And he was supposed to have answered, when you're, you're searching for a needle in the haystack, you stop when you've found the needle. I go on looking for the next one. And I think that's the same as well with, with, with um, creative thinking is yes you you might come up with an idea you think it's going to work but you need to kind of keep going at it even though you think you've got a workable idea there of all of einstein's quotes i've not heard that one before that's a new one for me so thank you that's <laughs> all right i'd love to know more about the actual course itself and you mentioned that you interviewed people who facilitate the, the collaboration, the coming together of people to generate ideas. Just out of interest, you know, what what types of characters did you did you speak to, and and how did you approach that? Yeah, they were all people from different different kinds of areas. That that um, some were working for companies, some were working for universities, who were in one way or another responsible for kind of um, facilitating generation of ideas and making ideas happen. The interesting thing that, that's been found has been that there is actually when you come to running any, any kind of something like a brainstorming session or anything like that within companies and so on, a lot of um, participants um, sort of have cynicism around this because 
what tends to happen is there is this this period where we're going to say, okay, well, this is a period where we're going to have, generate some ideas, and then it's a full stop after that, and then we get back to our routines and all the rest of it. It's not embedded in that organisation. It's not embedded in that institution as a way of being. It's not. It, it's sort of tolerated for that whatever it is, an hour or two hours, when people are saying you can be creative now. We're giving you permission to be creative, rather than actually seeing it as a kind of integral part of an organisation. That, which which it needs to be, um, so that's um, one thing that that again that, that that I came across, and then I think the other thing is that people, which is really important, and I think it's a really important facet about creative thinking, is that it's often identified with as being the process of just generating ideas, and actually I believe that um, creative thinking, what's really really important about it, is to apply that creative thinking, not just at the idea stage, but at the implementation of that, of your idea. And that's when you need creative thinking. And potentially you need it even more so because you're going to be coming across obstacles. You're going to be coming across cynics. You're going to be coming across people who are going to put things down. You're going to be coming across a lack of resources in order to implement your idea. That's when you need a lot of creativity and creative thinking. You don't just need it at that initial stage of generating an idea. It's often how you actually make that idea happen. And indeed, making an idea happen that is going that is crucial. I think that's fascinating. That is a that's not something you hear very often. So what you're saying is when that idea sort of gets released to the world, is that when you when when you're talking about it? I, I'm saying potentially even pre that. I mean, but but also when when you're trying to kind of get buy into that idea within an organisation, when you're trying to kind of um, communicate that idea, all those different stages, you still need creativity and creative thinking. And I think it, it it becomes a mistake where you almost have kind of like, I suppose it's a bit like you know how how I imagine that old advertising companies worked, where you went to the creative department and said, come up come up with an, uh, an idea for. This this advert and they generated an idea and then it went through all the different processes and somebody else kind of put it together and somebody else kind of got got it published and all all, all that side of things where I think we we are now is that um, you need um, creativity throughout the process throughout the process from from um, really looking at a problem and understanding that problem and defining that problem right through the process to actually implementing it and making it happen uh, and potentially even beyond that. So I think it's, it's a misinformation that, that, that essentially you only need creativity at the start. I've, I've had some similar thoughts in the past and the, the way that I sometimes think about ideas and when you're bringing ideas into the world that just like children have chicken pox parties or mothers organise chicken pox parties for their children, you're sort of immunising your ideas against external forces. And the more that it can be exposed to, the more sort of antibodies that it can start to, start to build up, the stronger that idea becomes. And that, for me, is that exposure. And certainly, you know, certainly just just one of the real benefits I see from, from how we like to work is the more perspectives that can bombard that idea, the stronger it becomes because it can stand up to criticism from many different perspectives. And of course, yeah, it needs to wash with the CEO uh, and the CFO needs to sign off you know, the investment. But then it's the culture of the business. And, you know, that's, a, you know, and, and so I think that the culture, whether it's in a Petri dish 
or whether it's in an organisation, it could actually reject those ideas. And I think that's what we're all, always working towards, isn't it? It's how, how you have to position it differently for different people. Absolutely. And I think that's you've touched on an interesting point as well. I think that's why you want and need diversity within organisations, um, because you want a whole range of different perspectives and you want perspectives sometimes that are ones that may not necessarily agree with you or may look at something very much from a point of view of the resources and the costs and so on. You want all those different perspectives within an organisation. You don't want an organisation where it's, I mean, I've heard that that one stage, um, some of the big accountancy companies were getting people to do a sort of psychometric test uh, as part of their sort of interview process to see, are they going to fit in? And going back to where you started at the very beginning, you want the misfits. You want some of those people who aren't going to fit into your organisation or fit in that comfortably because you want that diversity you want those diverse perspectives because that's going to be how it's going to help you innovate some grit in the oyster exactly (laughs) i'd love to zoom in a little bit more on on and pick up what you talked about earlier artificial intelligence machine learning the fact that you know this creative thinking course has been dropped uh what are you seeing is coming along to to replace that? Is there anything, you know, or, or you know, is there anything that you're optimistic about that's starting to come through? I, I'm actually pretty optimistic about education um, in in the future because I think a it's got to change. I think it, it really, really has to change. I don't think the way that it's going on at the moment is is anyway sustainable it's not preparing it's not preparing young people for the future world the future world of work or the future world anyway um, and it's not giving uh, employees employers rather uh, like yourself the talent that you need the people with the skills that you need so there's, you've got those two forces you've also got that interesting force as well of the pandemic and actually that made organizations educational organizations reappraise actually how young people are actually being assessed and is this kind of sole uh, requirement about exams and testing is is that really is that really the best route so i think you've got those twin tracks and i think at the same time you've got a world that's very fast changing and a, a skill that i believe alongside creative thinking that we're going to need is the capacity to learn how to learn. In other words, to be able to be a fast learner. And I'll give you an example of that. I, uh, as part of some of my work, looked at uh, a digital school called Hyper Island, where the students sort of go go and, and train in order for a career in the digital industries. And the interesting thing about the training on that course was they were trained in what is often referred to as soft skills, which I think is a wrong terminology, but things like creative thinking, resilience, teamworking, collaboration, those sorts of skills. They weren't actually trained in any technical skills whatsoever. They were trained in how to learn those skills and then they would have to go out and learn them themselves. In other words, they were trained to be fast learners. And that makes a lot of sense when you're looking at something as as like the digital industry, which is fast changing anyway. So if you went into university and you learned how to do certain packages and, and so on, three years later, you come out and those packages have changed. So it's not that valuable. What's better is to be uh, an adaptable, flexible, uh, resilient learner who, lear- who, who, who knows how to learn. And that's implicit, obviously, with, with, with creative 
creativity and creative thinking as well. So I think there is optimism there. I think another area which is is worth looking at and, and, and feeling optimistic about is the fact that a lot of universities, a lot of institutions are now actually taking uh, entrepreneurship uh, much more seriously. They may not be taking the creative thinking side, but they're taking entrepreneurship and and they're recognising that embedding some of those skills at a young age is, is, is really valuable. So I did a piece of work quite a, quite a while back um, where I interviewed 44 young entrepreneurs. So they were under 28 and they're pretty naive about the world and pretty naive about their, their not completely, but a bit naive about their business sectors, but somehow innovated in them. And one of the things that having looked at all, looked at them and uh, what they did and how they did things, one of the conclusions that I had was we need to be fostering these skills um, within society at an early stage and recognising their importance and not seeing these young entrepreneurs as misfits, but actually uh, people that we, we we need to be developing and supporting uh, and embedding these skills, even if those people, even as well if young people aren't going to be going on to be entrepreneurs themselves, they will hopefully be able to be go on being entrepreneurial within organisations, within companies like your, yours, and, and taking those skills with them. So I think there's some optimism there at the same time. But there's, there's I guess, alongside that, there's, there's certainly reasons to be um, pessimistic. Um, but but, but I, I think in, integral with creative thinking, you've got to be an optimist. I couldn't agree more. And I think when you talk about naivety, we know that that's exactly the disruptor's mindset. They are not shackled by the dogma of the sector or the category. They they just turn up and they look at it with fresh eyes, with beginner's eyes. And I think that's another principle of applying your creative intelligence. And they just look at it. And in fact, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tom Hanks film, Big. No. To cut a long story short, he's a kid who wishes he was a grown-up. And then suddenly... He goes to one of these fairground machines that grants his wish and he becomes a grown-up and he's in the big city and, you know, through coincidence, lands a job at a toy company. So (laughs) kind of kid's mentality in a grown man's body in a board meeting and he just says one day he's presented with this new concept which is far too complicated and actually far too clever and not smart and he just said, I don't get it. And it's like that naivety. I always use that as an example of just where, you know, sometimes you just need to have beginner's eyes, the naivety, just to realise that the way that things have been done, even though they might have been done a certain way for a very long time, is not necessarily the smart way to do things. So I think, you know, I, I think I think that naivety, and it, it's got to be encouraged, and I think it's that ability to question the status quo. We don't need to be doing it every single day, but certainly, you know, someone somewhere needs permission to be asking those sorts of questions. I completely agree. Definitely. And I think we need to, we, we, people do need to be uh, questioning assumptions, questioning conventions. And as you say, that naivety of, of, of coming at something from a very different perspective um, is really important. And actually, going back to my point about diversity as well, um, what, what, what I found is, and, and again, your question about sort of reasons to be sort of optimistic and so on, is there's a different now, or there's becoming a different attitude 
about people with dyslexia because people with dyslexia it was often uh, very unfortunately being being sort of conveyed as a bit of a put down or they're not they're 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 they're, they're, they're no, you know they're not so in, terrible thing to say but they're, they're often seen as you know not not so intelligent and actually it's just a different way of thinking and in a lot of ways, it can be an incredible strength um, to be able to come at something um, in in a different uh, from a di- from a different viewpoint. And interestingly, the the piece of research I did, where I was looking at forty four young entrepreneurs, um, it wasn't part of my sort of kind of uh, questions, but it kept coming up during the interviews. People people were saying. Oh, and also I, I wasn't that happy at school because I had dyslexia. And I found that actually 25% of the um, young entrepreneurs uh, out of the 44 had dyslexia. And funny enough, the BBC um, then did a bigger survey later on, and they found um, over 40% of their um, sample of, of, of entrepreneurs uh, had dyslexia. So it's kind of valuing a different way of thinking, a different way of seeing the world and, and, and recognising the strength of that. And I think... To, to build on that point, if you look at how, and I'm a, I'm a novice in this respect, so I'm, I'm sure someone's going to comment if I get this wrong, but if you look at how tests are structured within education, they have a massive bias in. You know, it's, it's very much set up for certain types of, for jobs. And if you do have dyslexia, you're not going to thrive in those tests. So where are those tests that we can put in place that are going to recognise these creative skills, which we now know are more probably more valuable to get us out of the different holes that we're stuck in, as you said earlier, whether that's you know, inequality or environmental issues. You know, that's how it's going to get solved. It's by people thinking about it differently. Yeah, and I think it's it's an important point as well on the, on that line is is also to say the um, unfortunately the arts is is undervalued within education. There is a huge amount of of, of value in the arts in, in terms of the creativity that it, that it brings to young people, and that creativity which they can then transfer into other subject areas as well. But again, it's seen as quite peripheral. It's seen as oh well, you know, you, you're doing music or you're doing visual arts or whatever. Well, that's very nice. Um, it, it's kind of like you know something for a rainy day, rather than seeing the value of that and seeing the importance of that and seeing the importance of what of those skills, those transferable skills that that young people are getting. Um, through through studying that uh, and valuing that and, and, and valuing that as a kind of in, really really important part of education. We're we're going to be in violent agreement today. I, I, I there is there is no life without the arts. It's just it's really not worth living. And I think there is so much inspiration to be taken either from you know the classics right the way through to the contemporary and just it just doesn't seem to be brought to the fore and it's seen as an elitist thing but it just shouldn't be an elitist thing at all and i think at times that what is so important here like you say that experimentation that takes place so much good stuff is happening and it is happening you know i i was uh, worked with the, the national theater foundation for a number of years and the, what the arts council is funding and the things that are going on is just amazing but it's just not getting through to enough people and not enough people are picking up on it so i i agree and that's where a lot of inspiration has to come from as well so i think all, all for that we're just going to we're not going to disagree on anything today or maybe we should spend the next 10 minutes trying to find something that we're going to disagree on <laughs> well you're right though i think um and, and interestingly 
I go to quite a few, uh, you might say, unusual theatre, but but theatre where um, it isn't actually taking place in a theatre, which sounds a bit bit odd, but actually where it, it's taking place on site. So I've been in theatre in the back of a crashed car. I've been in theatre in a locker, um, in one of those places where you go to, uh, to leave your, your left luggage. I've been in theatre, the um, back of a lorry, all these kind of different places where the, the, the it, it didn't require an actual formal, formal theatre space, but people have been creative about the spaces around them and thought about how can we kind of make this even more kind of real even more alive um for for the for the audience and it's been phenomenal um what's been done um in all of these different different spaces and diff- different kinds of places and the arts world um i think what what the arts world needs to do is kind of we need a better we need a better bridge between the arts world and education to bring the arts world more into um formal education so that we can kind of use 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 their creativity and use the way that they approach things um within formal education but by sort of encourage them in in into our schools and hopefully encouraging young people to question things think about things differently look at the world differently and that will be just such an inspiring place but we've got these amazing arts companies who are doing this wonderful work for audiences but we need to kind of get it to a much 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 bigger audience and I would love to see arts organizations and philosophers working with government I mean I know it sounds really (laughs) out there but I think that would be just so so great to get their input into questioning how we see things helping them solve problems because you know we we look at our our politicians and we say oh you've you you know well what's the answer and I mean things are coming along like pandemics where it wasn't necessarily on people's um, radar and all of a sudden we're saying well what do we do what's the answer and well how how do we do this how do we deal with this and all, all of a sudden um, politicians have to come up with an answer very quickly and actually what we need is to bring in all of these diverse viewpoints all of this creativity that exists and not see it as one or the other but, but actually see it as part of the whole I think I think I might have possibly thought of something that, that might be a bit more contentious between us now and it's as you talk about government and we couldn't have this conversation talking about government and talking about misfits and rebels if we didn't talk about Dominic Cummings' blog back in January 2020 that went seeking super talented weirdos. Now, we know that he is he is someone that is both glorified and vilified, uh, <laughs> but uh, he did make some very interesting comments, I think, about the role of diversity. And he was saying, we do need diversity, but we need true cognitive diversity. And I think he accused, you know, it was accusing SW1, you know, those government circles who just, he's, I think, quote, unquote, babbled on about gender identity and blah, blah, blah. But what he said, he didn't need more drivel about identity and diversity from Oxford's humanity graduates, but more genuine cognitive diversity. And that was true wildcards, artists, people who who never went to university or I think he said fought their way out of an appalling hellhole and weirdos from William Gibson novels and I think you're at you know and I think that's absolutely right you know because where do those people feel comfortable they don't feel comfortable around suits and they certainly wouldn't feel comfortable 
in Whitehall or around the Blob. So as as you can tell, I've 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 read a few bit about uh, Mr. Cummings. But what was your? How did you feel? I mean, I'm guess that came on your radar when when he published that because it was certainly it made the headlines in what, what lots of places. How did you how did you react to that? I would agree with you, and I would agree with him. I mean, definitely to bring bring those people in, but I don't. I, where I would say is I don't think the answer is always on the outside. And but what I mean by that is that actually a lot of the people you will get working in organisations that feel constrained, that feel their ideas aren't being taken seriously, that feel they can't have ideas. I mean, let, let's face it, there's a lot of people in organisations just feel, you know, there isn't space for my ideas. But then you have a look at what they do outside of that organisation and they may be doing voluntary work with young people, leading young people, coaching young people, um, supporting young people. They may be uh, parents where you have to kind of explain things to children, enter a different world, be imaginative. They, they may be doing sort of a, 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 amateur theatre. They're doing all this interesting stuff outside of work and they're quite natural and feel quite fine about doing it outside of work. But they don't feel that there is a space for that creativity, for that imagination, for their ideas within their institutions, within their workplaces. So I think it's yes, it's definitely about bringing these people in who can be agitators, who can upset the status quo, um, who can force people to look in, in different directions. But at the same time, I think it is also about fostering that talent that you have within organisations and recognising that you've got people there who will have ideas and they will have solutions, but you've got to give them the space, you've got to give them the environment, you've got to give them the culture in which they're going to feel that those ideas are going to be respected and that they're going to be supported in that. We're, we're agreeing again, but I think I might summarise that is we often look at that and say, you know, you are more than what is written on your business card. And so much identity gets you know, so projected on you when they see your, your, maybe your, your title in your job. And I just think that's it's it, it does put you straight into a box. And th- and this is obviously why I like to ask the question, you know, are you a misfit, a rebel or a crazy one? Because at least it allows us to start in a place that you can really maybe talk about those parts of your personality or your interests or your side hustles, whatever it might be, that are actually the things that bring you to life, that energize you. And I think that's where we are going to see fulfillment. I haven't seen, I haven't read the report yet, but I did see a, a McKinsey report come through just talking about the amount of people who are thinking about leaving their roles or have already left their roles during that period of reflection through COVID and starting to question the values and starting to question what they're doing and are there alternatives to that? And I think this is going to be, this is the big question that, that some of those organisations are going to have to be asking themselves, or we all have to be asking ourselves those questions but I think that's you know that's really I think is what is coming to the surface and and possibly what we're seeing there I think that's really good it's it's a really good point I think a lot of people are are not just questioning well you know um, do I want to commute to this place and does this place uh, the value of this place where it gives me free, free coffee or whatever but does it give you as an employee the space to have ideas to have your ideas potentially if developed and I think at the same time as well, what we're on a trajectory for is that we are going to need to be creative about our careers. 
and we're going to need to be uh, thinking about our careers in a creative way. So often somebody says, you know, what do you do? And they're expecting a single answer. They don't expect you to say a number of different things. But actually, I think more and more people are going to be required in the workplace to have a whole facet of different skills that they can utilise. Some people will be, at the same time as being an employee, will also be self-employed. Um, and there's going to be a much more fluid ways of working um, within organisations. I think organisations are going to need to fight for talent. And in doing so, will need to kind of give people the space to be creative and the space to have ideas. And the other thing I'd probably add to all of that is that we do need to value as I say, what people do outside of work and outside of what, what might be seen as their careers. Up until recently, uh, unfortunately, um, I was a carer, a carer for my parents. And actually, if you said to me, what was some of the most challenging work that you ever, ever done? It was certainly being a carer, not because I didn't love them, but because, you know, if you're caring for somebody with Alzheimer's, that's very, very challenging. And you have to be, you certainly have to be creative as well as resilient and, and, and so on. So I think what we've got to do is, is, is recognize um, the, the, the value of, of, of people's lives and what they do um, w formally within a career, but also outside of that as well. A career is more than about just working for an organisation. It's about, it's about your philosophy, it's about your mindset, it's about your purpose, and it's being able to be allowed to have that purpose and to fulfil that purpose as well. And, and maybe a, a little build on that, because I quite enjoy doing this, is, uh, well, my advice to my children is don't try. <laughs> and, and and lots of other parents get very shocked when they hear me saying this but it's from i think it's charles bukowski said don't try if, if you can find the thing that you love to do in life you don't have to try at doing it you can just get on and do it and i think that's also you know you've got to feel that gravitational force to do to doing stuff and enjoying it and 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 if you can wake up and say i've got the best job in the world then you know great and that's that's something to aim for i certainly feel that way quite often yeah, and I, I would say, uh, and try lots of things, be curious about lots of things, experiment with lots of things, because even if you don't end up pursuing them, you learn through about them. And then at certain points in your life and certain points in your career, you'll start joining them back, you know, you'll start taking some of the things that you've learned. And you'll start, you'll start linking it back to, to what you do. I think it was really interesting when we, we spoke briefly um, before, that you you know you said that you 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 did psychology you did design I, I think you studied a number of different subject areas if I'm right and I really like that I really like the fact that you studied all these kind of quite different subject areas but you think about it you can kind of make connections between those and you start bringing all those different elements together then you've got something quite powerful y yes and at, at the time. No one could understand why I was interested in those things. No one could understand, well, how are you going to use these? Where are they going to take you? And actually, if you look at the world of innovation now, it's all about business design. It's all about psychology. It's all about design. And But that just wasn't a thing. It, it didn't exist. And I think, well, maybe we're at a similar point here with, with creative thinking and, and, and sort of maybe we can, we can intuitively see that value, but it's just going to take a while for the mainstream to catch up with it. Or maybe the scientific bias that we have uh, within, the within the academy and there's not, maybe not sufficient oxygen for the arts or really what fuels the arts, which is, which is that raw creativity. It's not being given sufficient 
platform to strut its stuff. I think as well, I think what, what, what will be important is that people start to kind of get over this sort of attitude that creativity, creative thinking, it's quite elitist. It, it, it's for certain, you know, it's people who are excelling in a certain kind of profession or whatever. And actually, what is integral to your ability and your capacity to think creatively is the, your belief in how creative you are. That has a huge correlation between your belief in your creativity and your actual creative aptitude. And so I think more what we need to do is kind of demystify creativity and creative thinking and not see it as kind of something for a few, but actually see it as something that everybody has and that life comes along and dilutes your imagination and that it is about sometimes getting back in touch with that. It's it's about being sometimes being childlike, but not childish, but being childlike. And it's kind of getting back back to what we are born with, that ability to be creative. And actually seeing it as well as it's not something that has to be a major solution. It doesn't have to be a major problem that you're focusing on. I remember speaking to somebody who was blind and talking about creativity and he said, well, I'm creative every day. I have to be. It's how I get around. It's how I, it's how I find my way around. I have to be creative. I have to kind of use creativity in order to kind of get through life. And I thought that's a really good example of how it just has to be integral to what we do and also how we do it. We, just this week, we have soft launched creative intelligence training through the Sense Network. And this is a free course. So this is part of our purpose is very much to how can every human everywhere, how can we get them to fulfill their creative intelligence and collaborate to make things better and make better things for people, the planet and the business. And that's why we exist. But our first step is to give away this creative intelligence training. And that's partly about building confidence. It's partly about helping people to see things differently and realize that there is this inner space, just as you were sharing about your story uh, about the chap you were talking to, the blind chap you were talking to, you know, you have to be creative and it can actually make everyday life so much more engaging and interesting to do that. And it's just, it's, you don't need Netflix. You don't need to be paying subscriptions to stuff that's going to turn you into a dribbling clicker. You know, you don't have to be scrolling through stuff. There is this world of ideas and we can be, we can be building on that stuff together and having a lot of fun doing it. It's really brilliant that you're doing this. I mean, it's so good that you're you're, you're doing this and put it, putting it out there because, as I say, I mean, that was only one university offering this course, and it's not even doing it now. And for you, you know, for you to you guys to actually be putting out a, a course like this that hopefully demystifies creativity, that that builds people's confidence, and that, as you say, it's it, it, that people recognise and come to appreciate how enjoyable the whole process is and how it is about actually sometimes just going out there and the things that we see every day, but actually this time around looking at them, actually really looking at them and kind of rekindling as well, I guess, a sense of wonder, which you sometimes get from, from being creative and looking at the world through a creative lens. You see that wonder that's out there and you see the possibilities and the opportunities in it. And I think it's a, it's a much more, it's much, when you think about it, it's a much better mindset to be um, looking at the lens in a creative way of looking at what's the opportunities, what's the solutions, what's your ideas, 
rather than looking at what's the problems and just talking about the problems. I did a long time ago a project which was, we called it the Coffee House Challenge. It was for an organisation. It's got a bit, bit of a pompous name, the Royal Society for Arts, but it's 300 years old. So I guess you can get away with having a pompous name when you're that old. Uh, it was we, we called it the Coffee House Challenge. And it was just basically encouraging people who had a particular issue that they wanted to discuss with others, whether that was something like knife crime or whether it was um, educating children from home, meeting in a very informal environment of, of a cafe or coffee house and not kind of just discussing it and not just uh, looking at the problem, but actually focusing on the ideas and the solution and taking people and saying, what's your ideas on this? And it was really transformative because it got people actually into a very different mind space of actually, well, what is what 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 are your solutions to these problems? What, what, what do you think we should be doing about it? And that had energy and an incredible number of different innovations and initiatives came through from this with these people who'd never met, met each other, they'd just come to this informal space talking about their ideas about something that they were both, they were all concerned about. And as a result of that, one of the things that ideas does is it captures uh, older people and it, it drags them along and says, come on, you know, we need to make this happen now. Um, so it's a great initiative. And I think what you're doing with this training course, it's absolutely brilliant. And I really, um, really support you and, and, and congratulate you on doing it. Well, thank you, Jared. There was just one more thing I would love to talk about because you very kindly donated your huge prize money, <laughs> sli slightly sarcastic, um, to the to the Ministry of Stories. And I was genuinely, I welled up uh, watching the video that you shared, which is posted on the Sense Network, because they were doing precisely that. It was just going out and finding those stories that are around us or how the imagination can, can take over from that. And so I'd love just to hear a little bit more about the Ministry of, of, of Stories and, and what it is about that, about the group that, that you admire so much. Yeah, th well, thank you um, for supporting them through your programme. Ministry of Stories is a charity in East London, works in Tower Hamlets and works in Hackney. It was actually modelled on something from the United States called 826 Valencia, which was where a space in, in uh, I think it might have been in New York, where um, young people who were kind of you know, struggling a little bit with their, with their writing, they could go there after school. And it kind of just unleashed them with not focusing on, you know, so much this is this is right and this is wrong about writing, but actually just unleash their imagination and gave this amazing space in order to be imaginative and to help them come up, be even more creative with their writing. So it was modelled on that and somebody took it, um, like a lot of ideas, you, they transferred it from the States to the UK and they, they, they modelled it on this. And the Ministry of Stories, if you go to their, their website or you actually go physically to their um, place, they've actually got, the front, the front of it is a monster shop um, full of, you know, everything like werewolf biscuits and all the rest of it, which you can buy and all, all those purchases supports the charity. But they work with local young people, um, not necessarily who've got a, a great deal of opportunities in that area. And they help them be imaginative and they kindle their imagination and they enable them to kind of get back in touch with creativity and enjoying being in the world and say, telling their stories and, and giving their stories and making up their stories and generating this um, wonderful kind of means that 
enables those young people to kind of be creative in the world. It's a wonderful charity. Uh, Ministry of Stories, do check it out on, on their website. And as I say, it's doing some great work both in the local communities there, but also they go out into schools as well and as I say they're trying to kind of raise the funds for a library of books just to kind of stimulate their children's uh, imagination so any support that your listeners can do um, that would be wonderful. The the other thing I, I think about ideas is that people kind of sometimes think an idea has to be really radical it has to be kind of life-changing or it has to be something that's you know extremely innovative and actually sometimes some of the best ideas are really quite simple they're quite they're they're, they're quite straightforward but strangely enough nobody's seen them or nobody's had the, the courage to kind of point them out so I think it's an important thing that when we're looking at ideas and thinking about ideas as well, that we don't always necessarily have to gravitate towards something that's radical, but actually just think about, well, is this going to solve the problem? Is this going to solve the problem? I think that's one. And then I think the other thing that we need to do sometimes is upstream things and actually think about, well, what's causing the problem in the first place? So we can't always be a sticking plaster, but, but actually go upstream and think about what, what is actually causing the problem? What, what, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the systemic issues that is creating these problems in the first place? And actually looking at those and address it, trying at least as much as possible to address the, those as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Gerard. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I think we I think we need to get together again and, and talk some more. There's clearly lots of common ground and we, we need to try and find something that we disagree on. I think that would be I, I think that's always healthy. You, you know, that's that that's where good conversations come from, a little bit of tension. I'm sure we will eventually. I'm sure we will. But I've I've loved it as well, and I've loved loved talking to you about uh, the the wonderful thing about ideas, and and also I mean you know congratulations to you and everybody in in the Sense Network for what you're doing, uh, bringing people together. Because I didn't know about the network before, and then I, I saw it and thought, well, as a misfit, this is somewhere I am going to fit in. And so it's wonderful to have that space, wonderful to have that place, and where everybody's um, supporting each other and helping each other foster their ideas. So it's it's great. That what you guys are doing and as I say the course that you're running uh, the program that you're running to give people confidence in their creativity I think that's going to be wonderful and I'll I'll have a look at that and if I can contribute anything to that then I'll be very happy to do that amazing I'm sure we will and thank you again cheers thank you thank you for listening to extreme perspectives brought to you by sense worldwide we'd love you to join the conversation using the hashtag extreme perspectives If you enjoyed it, do leave us a review. The Sense Network collaborates with many of the world's most innovative companies to help them to be more innovative. Join us at thesensenetwork.com or get in touch via email. Hello at senseworldwide.com.